Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to all our brothers and sisters who have joined us today in church for worship of our triune God. We also extend a warm welcome to all visitors who have joined us this morning here in church and also those who are with us remotely via live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel and may God be praised and glorified by our worship. The consistory has the following announcements. Brother and sister John and Alice Stainoff has advised consistory that they will be moving to Canberra for a one-year period. During this time, they will withdraw their membership from the Free Reformed Church in Southern River. We wish them God's blessing and look forward to their return. This morning, the worship service will be led by Brother Warner Spiker. And before we commence the worship service, let us sing together Psalm 136, verse 2 and 3. Sisters, let us stand as we worship the Lord. We confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Amen. Congregation, in response to God's greeting, let us, let us sing Psalm 149, verses 1 and 2.
After the reading of the ten words of God's covenant law, we will sing from Psalm 119, verses 61 and 62. We now with all respect put ourselves under the discipline of the holy law of the Lord, and let us test our lives on it as on the rule of thankfulness. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbour's. Christ also teaches us this in a summary in Matthew 22, where he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets.
Let us now humble ourselves before God in prayer and ask him for a blessing over this worship service. Almighty, merciful God and Father, we come before you to praise your name. We worship and adore you, for you are a God beyond compare. You, Father, are infinitely wise. You are perfect, holy, all-powerful, everywhere present. You are just, yet you are merciful and compassionate. Our minds cannot begin to understand your greatness, your majesty, your glory. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and your ways higher than our ways. You are everything to us, an overflowing fountain of good, and therefore we magnify your name, and it gives us great joy and gladness to come into your presence. Father, when we test our lives on your law, we feel exposed. Your law is as a searchlight, exposing our weaknesses, exposing our faults, exposing our sin. We have not served you with our whole heart, soul and mind. You have not always been the number one priority in the decisions that we have made. At times we serve you in ways that seem best to us, failing to study your word of truth. We stand by silently while your name is abused, failing to remember that no sin provokes your wrath more than the blaspheming of your holy name. So often we use the time that you give us, including the Lord's Day, for our own pleasure and not to your glory. And we have not always loved our neighbour as ourself. We do not always show honour to those in authority over us, being patient with their weaknesses. We have not shown mercy and friendliness to all. We do not keep our bodies pure and holy as you have commanded forgetting that we, body and soul, are temples of the Holy Spirit. At times we squander your good gifts. We do not defend and promote our neighbour's honour and reputation wherever we can. We have been discontent, desiring more and better. We do not always hate sin with our whole heart. And so we are driven to you. We confess before you our sins before you, our great God and Saviour. From you alone may we obtain mercy and grace in time of need. For we recognise that our sins require punishment, both now and eternally. Yet we need not despair, for we may look upwards, away from ourselves, to our faithful and victorious Saviour, seated at your right hand, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we may come before your throne of grace boldly, for we have a high priest in heaven who can sympathise with our weaknesses, who was tempted as we are. And we may accept as true your covenant promise that you wash us clean in his blood. Give us, we pray, open and receptive hearts as we listen to your word this morning. Not hearts that are set in their ways and have it all worked out, but rather hearts that are willing to change to submit to your word and conform to your will. Gracious God, open our hearts to your gospel and grant us a blessed hour of worship. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles where we will read from uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 4 and then also the letter of James, chapter 1. So first then we'll read uh, Philippians, chapter 4, and we'll read the whole chapter. Philippians 4 verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. 
I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And uh, now we go to the letter of James, uh, where we'll read from chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. So, James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So far, in response to the reading of God's word, Let us now sing Psalm 16, verses 3, 4 and 5.
Beloved in Christ, are we known as a joyful people? Is that the reputation we have, that we're often rejoicing? Perhaps not. On first impressions, our worship is pretty sombre. In speaking about our faith, most of us are reserved and we keep our emotions well in check. Even when we have what we call the celebration of the Holy Supper, we don't look like we're celebrating, celebrating at all, but we're pretty solemn. Other Christians may seem better at joy. But is the joy really missing? That's something to ponder. The blessed reality of our sins being forgiven in Christ is good news, and it should bring to us a real gladness of heart. Now, someone might say that our personal experience isn't so important. It's about God's glory, not our changing feelings, whether joy or confidence or something else. And perhaps that is true. It's also true that people have different characters and we express our emotions in different ways. Even so, we cannot excuse the sin of a joyless life. That's right, the sin of a joyless life. For God commands us to rejoice. And he does, and he does so not just once or twice, but throughout the scriptures. This should be the character of someone who's been changed by God. Joy is called one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5 because those who know the Lord, those who have experienced his grace and have been filled with the Holy Spirit will most certainly rejoice in him. That's our theme for this sermon on Philippians 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And we'll cover three points. Why do we rejoice? How do we rejoice? And when do we rejoice? So the theme of the sermon is rejoice in the Lord always and we'll cover the why, the how and the when do we rejoice. So firstly then, why do we rejoice? If you took a quick survey of the people on your street and you asked each of them what brings him or her the most joy, you'd surely get a wide range of answers. Some have joy when their favourite tennis player or football team wins. Some might have a surge of joy when looking at their bank balance. Many have joy in the company of their family or close friends, or perhaps when they're sitting down to a delicious meal with a glass of red wine. There are many reasons for joy, yet they are so often linked to outward things or physical experiences which means that joy is simply a passing emotion. Your joy is based on what you have in your possession or it's based on the pleasures you're experiencing at that moment. It's nice while it lasts, but when the moment passes, so does the joy. We fall into the same trap when we sometimes find our joy in the wrong places. It's hard not to be excited by some worldly pleasures. Or you have joy, child of God, a joy through him. But, and here's the unexpected twist, God says that our joy needs to begin with sorrow. Before ascending to the heights, we need to taste how the depths can be so bitter. For we grieve sin. This is our deadly serious problem. We know it from the Catechism, which describes repentance in this way. It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin. The Bible shows us what our sins have done, separated us from God. It tells what sin deserves, lasting condemnation. And because of this reality, we should be grieved. Listen to how God calls to sinners in the book of Joel, chapter 2. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. 
begin with weeping. Be broken in your sins and failures. But then let that true sorrow propel you toward repentance and a change of life. When you see the ugliness of your sin, then run to the Lord for mercy and relief. For he will dry your tears, pardon your guilt, and give you joy. So here is the source of true rejoicing. It's found only through a right relationship with God. Everything apart from him is crumbling. Everything else is disappointing. Yet our God is eternal. He is glorious. He lacks in no way and never fails. So those who enjoy a living relationship with him are given true gladness of heart, a joy that endures. Listen to what David prays in Psalm 16. This was his confession to God. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Maybe a word like pleasures sounds wrong in that context. Like it must be something wicked, something nice but forbidden. But David dares to say that he will find his pleasure in his God. And so we can as well. Being near the Lord warms the heart and delights our spirit. Beloved, just think of how meditating on God's character can bring us delight. When I say meditate, I mean just taking one of God's attributes and turning it over in your mind and pondering what it means for us. There's a joy in knowing the Lord, that he is constantly faithful, even when we are so changeable. There's a joy in expecting blessings from his rich goodness. We can also be strengthened by his almighty power and instructed by his wisdom. God lacks in nothing, and he is our God. Beloved, do you have the holy pleasure of knowing God? Those who begin with grief can journey towards joy because they have been redeemed by God through Christ. This is why our text says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Who exactly is the Lord in that context? It is none other than Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. In that text, Paul is saying, Rejoice in the cross. Rejoice in the empty tomb. Rejoice that Jesus has ascended and sits enthroned in heaven above. Rejoice in the Lord Christ. Joy is a central theme of Philippians. It's sometimes called Paul's letter of joy because joy just keeps bubbling to the surface. About 15 times in about 100 verses, Paul speaks of his joy or about the joy of every child of God. And Paul is saying much more than be joyful in what you have or rejoice in what you see right now. We know that because Paul's situation when he wrote this letter was anything but joyful from a human point of view. He wasn't sitting in a comfortable study somewhere or writing from a seaside villa. Rather, he's in prison, confined against his will and apparently getting close to the day of his execution. His earthly situation could hardly be worse, and yet his joy overflows, more in this letter than any other. Because what is most important in this life, more important even than health, or freedom, or family, our salvation in Jesus Christ, for Jesus accomplished something that no one can ever take away. Jesus suffered and he died and he rose again in order to bring us back to God. Today he reigns in glory and sends us his spirit. And one day our loving Redeemer will return in glory to renew us and take us to himself forever. In the Lord we have every reason to rejoice. 
Is this the kind of joy that lives in you? Whatever the day brings, are you glad that you've been made right with your Creator? Do you rejoice to know that your sins have been fully covered in the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you find delight in the Lord? Let's understand what this joy looks like. Joy in Christ might not put a perma smile on your face. It may not be a happiness that quickens your pulse and brings laughter to your lips. Most days, your life will flow calmly onwards. Maybe your life will run into severe trouble like Paul's did. Yet there is joy, a peace, a perspective on life that is unfailingly hopeful. Maybe you know someone like that who really lives in the joy of faith. They are quick to thank God for his daily mercies. They praise him and they speak of their trust in him no matter what. It's not a put on. It's not a naive joy, a fake cheerfulness. But through the Holy Spirit, a believer can hold onto a confidence and a hopefulness, a lasting joy in God alone. At the beginning of every day, getting up from our bed, driving to work, starting our duties, we say with the psalmist, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118, verse 24. We have a reason to rejoice, because it's another day of grace in Jesus Christ. We have a reason to rejoice, because it's another day of receiving God's gifts, large and small. We rejoice because it's another day for doing his will. We then come to our second point, how do we rejoice? So joy in the Lord won't always be a flood of positive emotion, something like a holy high. But make no mistake, joy will come out. The fruit of the Spirit is meant to be real, concrete, practical. It should be as real as the fruit you hold in your hand at the grocery store. You can feel it, you can taste it, and others will be able to taste it too. Our joy in the Lord comes out in different ways. One important way is through public worship. We know the words of Psalm 122 verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The psalmist was glad to be going to the temple, glad even for the invitation, glad because he would be entering God's presence. It should be the same for us, that we have gladness in worship. In view of everything God is and all that he's done, it's fitting that we come and rejoice with heart and soul and mind. As we sing and pray and listen, don't let it become routine. Remember that the Lord never intended worship to be a tedious and lifeless event. In Deuteronomy 16 verse 11, God tells the people about their days of worship and he says, You shall rejoice before the Lord your God. For when worship is rightly focused on God, we see that we have much to rejoice in. We see what a God we worship. We see what a Lord has saved us and we give him praise. So do you rejoice on the Lord's day? Do you rejoice to hear the word of God read and explained? Do you rejoice like the psalmist did, celebrating the opportunity to go to God's house and to lift up your voice in praise and prayer? Do you cherish the weekly opportunity you have to show God again that you love him and that you delight in him? The rejoicing that begins on Sunday flows into the whole week. For each day... We can rejoice in prayer. David says in Psalm 86 verse 4, Gladden the, heart, gladden the soul of your servant, for to you I lift up my soul. David expected joy through prayer. 
That's because he was drawing close to God, enjoying with him a holy dialogue. And as he did so, he was confident that God would answer him with a measure of joy. When we pray too, we can expect the gift of joy. Joy not because we immediately receive anything, receive everything we pray for, and all our troubles vanish. But we have a sense of joy because we're speaking with our loving Saviour. Joy because we see that we have so much to be thankful for. Joy because we are certain that God will hear and answer. Those who have the Spirit will also rejoice in God's Word. Psalm 119 is full of this truth, like verse 111. Your statutes are the joy of my heart. The psalmist loved God's life-giving word. For here, here, he discovered God's will for his life. He found out more about his Lord and what he promised. Each and every page held the potential of pleasure. Can you relate to this joy? When you have scripture open, are you rejoicing in what you read? Are you happy to deepen your knowledge of the Lord? Once again, it's not as if we are flooded with delightful thoughts as soon as we open scripture. Like we learn in Psalm 119, reading God's word takes diligence, eager searching. It's like the slow and steady uncovering of great treasure. But be sure that your joy will increase as you grow in the word. And let's also share this joy in the word. Tell your children about the glories of God. Tell your fellow saints about new things that you've read or learned from the scriptures. Tell your neighbours about the good news of great joy for all people. Joy also comes out in the life of the church. For good reason, Paul instructs us, In Romans 12 verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. This is a key part of the communion of believers when we come alongside one another and share in the journey. When there is reason to rejoice, let's do so together. Let us be happy for one another and give thanks together. And when any of us has reason to mourn, we can do that together as well. We mourn on account of sin or disappointment or the passing of a loved one. And we can mourn together with understanding, with prayers and with support. We're seeing that joy is not only for special occasions or when everything works out for us. Joy is a spirit for all of life because all of life is for serving God. And it's our privilege to do so. You know, when there's someone you really care about, serving him or her doesn't feel like a burden. If you love your spouse, you're glad to do things for him or her. If you love your children, you take delight in doing something special for them, even to sacrifice for them. You're happy to make them happy. How much more when it comes to God? See how glorious he is, how majestic, and everything he's done for us. So to serve him is a delight. We can rejoice in serving him, even when serving is hard, because he is pleased to use us for his kingdom. In whatever place of life God has put us, let's serve him with gladness. And we now come to our third point, when do we rejoice? Our final question receives an easy answer. Just reread our text. Rejoice in the Lord always. There it is. We must bear this fruit of the Spirit all the time. There should never be a season when joy can't be found on our branches. 
That's easy for the minister to say on a pleasant Sunday morning. Easy to say when all is well, when you're healthy and employed and no pressing worries. But we already said that's not the kind of joy we're talking about. A joy linked only to circumstance and how we're doing at that moment. For every child of God will experience struggle and strain. Times when joy can be hard. Now, maybe you still think that the Christian life is pretty easy overall. That could be for a few reasons. One, you're not old enough to have suffered much. Fair enough. Or two, you're living in denial, closing your eyes to all the suffering around you. That's not good. Or three, you've taken the easy way out. You've figured out a way to act like a Christian but still get the most out of the good times that you want from this world. Your version of the Christian life is more like a walk in the park than a pilgrimage through the wilderness. Then you need to repent. If you're serious about following Christ, you will suffer. That's a fact. But that doesn't make us miserable, for even as you suffer, you can rejoice. Paul understands how this doesn't make sense. That's why he repeats himself in case the Philippians thought he was crazy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. The Philippians knew all about Paul's situation, of course. In the first paragraph of this letter, he'd written about his difficult situation in prison. He had even talked about that most uncomfortable topic death and dying and his own death seemed very close he felt like he was right on the threshold of the grave yet Paul will say it again rejoice he won't ever tire of saying this why? because he knows the way back to God he knows the great price that Jesus paid for his people a price so high that God won't ever let his chosen ones be lost. So of course we rejoice when all is well. We rejoice when we have our health, when we receive our daily bread, when there is peace in our family and in the congregation and freedom in this country. It would be wrong not to be glad for so many blessings. Let's receive all these things as tokens of the Father's steadfast love. But then let's also rejoice in the times of deep brokenness. We can have a joy in the Lord, even if a loved one becomes sick and then dies. We can have joy even when there is strife in our family. We can rejoice even when there are disappointments and failures. We rejoice always. These are shocking words, yet I'm not the first to say them. These are the words of God from places like James 1 verse 2, as we read. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Or Romans 5 verse 3, where Paul says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. We don't rejoice because of these things, for they are hard and terrible and even tragic But as we endure these things, we still strive to rejoice, to have that all-surpassing peace of God, because we're still joined to the Lord. Whatever happens, our hearts and minds are secure in the knowledge that we belong to our Saviour in life and in death. We can look for joy in our sufferings because we know this precious secret God is using even these hard times for our benefit and salvation. He is sanctifying us. He is drawing us closer. He is counting us worthy to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, James says, and he explains in this way, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, steadfastness, 
Rejoice in the midst of your trials. No, it's not what you'd expect. It's a surprise. C.S. Lewis wrote a book about his conversion to the Christian faith and he gave it the title, Surprised by Joy. For he didn't really want to become a Christian. He resisted because he knew it was going to be a harder life. But having come to faith, he was surprised by something. He was surprised by joy. No matter what he had given up, no matter the hardships, the mockery that was going to come, God gave an unshakable joy. That's the experience of all who put their trust in Jesus as Lord. I trust that it's your experience too. We don't expect an easy life. We don't count on having constant eruptions of joy within us. Yet, knowing the Lord, we do expect to rejoice. Even in the darkness, we expect the surprise of experiencing again the goodness of belonging to the Lord. And take the joy you have today as a down payment. Look at it as a foretaste. For the fullness of joy belongs to the last day. That day when we and all the heavenly hosts will sing, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Revelation 19 verse 7. Imagine a place without tears or death or sorrow. Imagine a place without brokenness and pain. Imagine a place where we'll have full and unending joy, finally seeing our God even face to face. Let that promise lift your spirits already now. Beloved, how long will we rejoice? We shall rejoice in the Lord always and rejoice forever. Amen.
Let us now call upon the name of the Lord in prayer. Faithful and merciful God, we praise you for the gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the joy and the hope that it gives to us, for the reality of your love, that you so loved the world that you gave your only Son, not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You gave the promise that whoever, whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but have eternal life. As we meditate upon this truth, work in us a deep joy, a joy that comes not from our circumstances, but from a knowledge of who you are and what our Saviour has done for us. Our Saviour has reconciled us to you. You are a God of promise, and you have promised that nothing can separate us from your love. You have promised that the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will also dwell in us and give us new life. And our Saviour has promised to be with us always, to never leave us or forsake us, to be with us to the end of the age. Our Saviour who has borne all our griefs and sorrows, all of our sin and shame. For we do live in a broken world where we face griefs and sorrows. We face many challenges in our lives, indeed trials, which are not joyful in themselves. We grieve the loss of loved ones and we pray for those who grieve such loss. We pray especially for the widows and the widowers in our congregation. We also pray for those whose joy may be impacted by the challenges of ill health or the brokenness of family relationships or the effects of sin in their own lives or the lives of those near them. Give comfort and strength. Yet we pray that in faith we may also cast all of these burdens on our Saviour Jesus Christ. We have a Saviour who is gentle and lowly. We may come to him when we are heavy laden and he will give us rest. We may have the peace and joy in the knowledge that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Help us to look outside of ourselves for this joy, to enjoy a living relationship with you, our triune God, to seek joy in your presence to depend on our Saviour as we walk in humility, gentleness, patience, love and joy as a fruit of your indwelling spirit. We pray for your care and your guiding hand over brother and sister John and Alice Steenhoff as they move to Canberra. We pray be near to them, sustain them and in your time also bring them safely back to us. We pray for the ongoing work of mission. For many years this work has, under your blessing, continued in PNG. We know that this work is not easy, yet we also know that your word is always effective and never returns empty. We pray for your people there, for continued growth in faith and maturity of the new believers. Bless also the pastors and the missionaries and other workers on the field. Grant us a blessed day of rest on this Sunday. And we pray, bring us back again to hear your word this afternoon. Hear us in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We may now worship the Lord by way of our financial offerings. The collection this morning is for mission work in PNG. And after the taking of the collection, we will sing in closing hymn 85, all three verses.
Lift up your hearts unto God, receive the blessing of the Lord, and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.